Welcome to The Sweet Spot, the podcast for C-suite IT executives and leaders from C-suite leaders. And now for today's podcast, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Welcome to The Sweet Spot. I'm Howard Holton. And my co-host here is Paul Lewis. Yeah. So I am the global CTO for public safety, compliance, governance, and legal for Hitachi Ventara. And Paul? I'm the global vice president, CTO for industry and enterprise architecture. So I'm a former CTO, or former CIO. Um, I've got roughly 30 experience in the industry. I've worked in verticals from SLED to public safety, uh, telecom, healthcare, retail, and now manufacturing, legal, uh, and government contracting. Paul? I don't have that kind of background. I've got, I've got 17 years of CIO and CTO, mostly in financial services. In fact, the vast majority of my perspective is financial services. With the last six years, of course, uh, I've been able to see a lot more industry and how that applies even to financial services. So when I talk to a bank, um, it's about applying media and telco and healthcare to things that they do, which is fun. So, and super valuable. Yeah. Right. Um, the value that we bring is very much that, that industry focus, that industry expertise, the vertical expertise that allows us to have a conversation um, at a level that's outside of infrastructure. And sometimes solutions are outside of the industry. I, have, I talk to so many CIOs that say, if we had... We had the answers already. We would have solved our problems. We got to look outside sure. of history, and maybe even to the physical world. Even though some of those industries are much more digital than physical, but some of the physical problems might relate to a digital issue. Right. I find that uh, the interesting thing is actually the the vertical, not necessarily the technology. Mm. Um, you know, I, I I have kind of a melting pot if you will, of, of verticals. Um, and the reason for that for me was every time I changed jobs, um, I didn't change because I didn't like the organization, typically. Um, I changed because something in me got bored, and I found that, that learning kind of the OT, as we call it, um, was more interesting than the IT since that stays the same. I really wanted to understand, like, how does healthcare apply a technology versus how does telecommunications apply a technology? So when you say OT, do you mean... The business? Because sometimes when we say OT, we really mean not infrastructure, which means OT could be application, it could be ITSM, it could be enterprise architecture. Sure. So when I say OT, I, I do mean the business, but that's often the business-specific applications as well, right? The business applications are like the, 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 the software uh, version of a business workflow. And so I kind of include those in the OT as well. But I don't necessarily include... Um, well, I certainly don't include anything in infrastructure, um, and I don't include things that are in software that are a little bit more generic. Um, but very much, you know, how does the how does the OT, how does the workflow of the business operate, and how can technology enable it? And so that's all the things that touch that for me. So it doesn't include the shared services, but I know I had a VP of applications, and effectively each one of their directors was a line of business, and what they focused on almost entirely was the workflow of the business. They were. This in many ways, right? It's not like the business determined they wanted compute and then asked for compute. Right. right. They wanted, they wanted faster, better, cheaper, 
operational process. Right. They wanted to solve a problem that they had. Right. And those would be OT people as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Those would be the OT interface to the IT. Right. Um, but, but enterprise architecture, I think, is also, for that to be successful, that also has to be an OT-based process, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't consider what the business is trying to do and why the business is trying to do it, you tend to fail. Especially if you don't know who the customers are, what customers we're not attracting, and what the value proposition to those customers are. It's hard to say how IT might actually impact positively. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So what brought you to the manufacturing side? Because we both work for a manufacturer, but what, what brought you to the manufacturing side? Uh, I like to use the word sort of provider versus manufacturer, just because when you use manufacturer, you kind of think plant, and you know, ironically, we have hundreds of plants too, but that's a that's you know, it's coincidental. <laughs> On the provider side versus the consumer side, right? So the provider side was interesting in that I never knew how things worked when I asked for a statement of work. Right? Give me a statement of work, solve my problem, let me consume some product from you. Why does it take two weeks to make that happen? Right? Why is that? Why is that not an overnight shift? Um, and I wanted, really wanted to see what it meant uh, to, to make the sausage. Right? I really wanted to see what the effort to create large, complex, industrial hardware and software to support that. The reality is, as a client, we built what we thought was necessary for the project money to which we had. You know, we didn't have somewhat similar for me, right? Um, I want to get closer to where the sausage is made, um, but really I want to be able to work with a lot more customers in a lot more verticals and, and kind of see how much of that is shared, how much of that is specific, um, how much of that can I affect, and, and kind of what insights can I gain and how can I, can I grow. For me, it, um, being at the provider side, which I like that term much better than manufacturing, um, really is about you know, deepening that understanding for me, right? Mm -hmm. um, rather than looking at how one telecom does it, I want to look at how 10 telecoms do it. One healthcare provider versus 10 or 100 healthcare providers. Right. So it's, it's just kind of still trying to scratch that itch a little bit for and, me. And Hitachi is even more interesting in that um, it's much closer to our clients' everyday business, right? They're likely to have consumed other products and services that the larger organization provides or at least have seen them on the street as they're driving to the office and therefore they can there's a there's a real life impact into lives instead of just a digital thing where it's a large enterprise piece of software who knows what an ESP is right everyday person would for sure right uh, everyday person has seen a crane before right, right. So they can they can do that math much quicker and that was appealing to me so I, I agree um, I didn't really understand how many companies we have 964 currently, uh, of which I think 960 would squarely fall into that OT bucket, where only four of them are technology companies. So it does it does give us a a, a wide breadth of um, other verticals to look at, other industries to look at um, that are all within the same you know one Hitachi, um, and I do find that appealing. Um, I find it appealing that a lot of the solutions we come up with, a lot of the things that we create. They're not, they're not a marketing exercise. They're not, we're not looking at competitors going, we have to race out and do the same thing, but rather someone in those 960 sister companies is experiencing a problem that needs to actually be solved. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really appealing for me from an employment perspective. And it aligns really well with the sort of verticalization of the world in general. Right? The reality is 
you know, cloud is verticalized, IoT is verticalized, software OT value is verticalized, and we've got to we've got to play in that OT functional world, not just the OT operational world. For sure. Uh, what I I'd love to hear your perspective. I talk to a lot of CIOs across a variety of industries. Would you say there's more similarity in those CIOs, or you think you see more differentiation based on those? So, so I think it's hmm, 70, 20, 10. Okay. I think there's 70% is, is gross commonality um, amongst all verticals regardless. Um, then I think there's 20% that is vertical specific. And then I think there's 10% that is company specific, right? And, and it, that's going to flex, but, but there's a great difference between how, um, a bank like Wells Fargo would do something and how a bank like, um, Unimec in California would do something. And then how a bank like, um, you know, a small local bank that has three branches in, in a small, in small cities in Oklahoma would do things. Right. Um, and so I think that's that's kind of the other ten percent, and then uh, you know that also there's a great difference between how Wells Fargo will do something versus how Bank of America will do something, mm-hmm. um, and so I think I think it's probably something like a seventy twenty ten um, when it really comes down to it, and you know we could always discuss what those variances are, but I think I think those are kind of the three buckets. I would agree at the same scale. I, I see. I think I see the biggest difference between scale of company. So as you described, startups, thirty people in IT operate very differently as a CIO than a uh, $7 billion IT budget. Absolutely. Right? When there's a EVP or SVP of storage, right, versus the CIO Absolutely. who has to do everything, well, that they have a very different way of sort of doing business, even across verticals. Uh, if I look at 15 different startup CIOs, they're all relatively close because they all kind of do everything, right, versus in a very large organization, if I look at seven very large organizations, they probably do something different because the focus is either on uh, growth in their IT or growth in the business. Sure. No, I, I agree completely. Um, I, I like to use a military analogy. I don't know why my head naturally goes there. Like I didn't come from a big military family, <laughs> um, but it's it's very very similar to. Um, when you're in startup mode, you're a revolutionary war leader. Um, you have a very small military. You don't have clearly defined jobs. Like everybody may have a primary job, but they also have a secondary, a tertiary um, job that they also do. And then there's the everything else that someone must pick up, um, which is a lot more common in smaller organizations. And you start to find a lot more specialization and um, lack of penetration. In a small organization, a CIO, you'll see completely top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Right, but you don't have the ability to do that in in a in a massive organization with a seven billion dollar budget. Right, you can only see the fog of war starts to kick in, right. and you can only see you know two or three levels. Um, and so, so yeah, there's there's there is absolutely a lot more similarity within verticals in similarly sized organizations than there are in disparately sized organizations, for sure. And the scale is massive. Right, when I'm dealing with um, you know, one application, one terabyte, one cloud provider versus 600 petabytes, uh, hundreds of thousands of workloads, and multi-cloud. Absolutely. It's a different concept of what I worry about all the time. Absolutely. But I would, uh, as the, to the cloud conversation, I would say that the, um, there's a bigger challenge in time, I think, than necessarily workforce. Like, I see a lot more similarity in the challenge of moving to cloud in companies that are equally aged 
rather than in companies that are equally sized. Although size does tend to play a factor, right? But but if a if if a, a company is um, you know uh, Bank of America size, we we'll use that as an example, and and there's a small bank that's also a hundred years old. Um, there's they face similar challenges trying to move to the cloud, trying to 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 add that agility and that flexibility and those capabilities tends to be a significant challenge for them. Um, and and I kind of find that even across verticals. Um, just the the I would say the number one factor that I see in success in moving to the cloud um, is simply around um, age of business. The older the business is, the older the systems tend to be. Um, the older the systems tend to be, the harder they the, the more kind of sacred cows that we've created, mm -hmm. right? Um, the more embedded they are. Twenty minutes is actually great, um, and the more fragile those kind of workflows and systems and processes and technology become, um, which all of which adds up to making that very, very hard to move to the cloud. Yeah. So I find that kind of an interesting, the, an interesting thing that I noticed. It's like the perfect word for it. Yeah. You, when you have 10,000 workloads, an application frag fragility essentially means, you know, I may not have the source code. Or I only have one or two people who actually know what this application does. Or it's actually 23 applications all integrated together in a web to which one can't unlike. Right. And if I really wanted to, it's almost impossible to recreate the thing I just created over right. the last 20 years. And therefore, there's no lift and shift capability, right? And in fact, unless I'm rewriting it or buying another application that's doing the like thing, it's going to remain the same. Right. It's very much like, uh, for some reason, you're going through that, and the, the image of um, the hurricane that hit uh, Haiti crops up. And Haiti and the Dominican share an island. Um, the Dominican was damaged, but, but damaged in much the way that Florida is damaged during a hurricane, whereas Haiti was effectively wiped out. Right. Unfortunately, too often, those old, those legacy critical applications, when we talk about that fragility, they're fragile like the buildings in Haiti were. Right. right, they're entirely too glued together. No one really knows how it got this way. Um, in many cases, the application code is no longer supported. Like we weren't able to upgrade, we weren't able to upgrade. Now we can't upgrade because the gap is too big. Mm -hmm. Right, there's no clear upgrade path. Um, and in some cases, like we or or I've seen it in customers, there are half a dozen people in the world that understand that version of that application that are still in, you know, and, and that becomes very, very expensive. And, and unfortunately, uh, we often we often get into a situation where where it's kind of a catch-22, right? We don't know. Uh, it's not even an analysis paralysis. It's the cost of change is so monumentally high regardless of what decision we make. And yet we see this kind of ticking clock ahead of us. That's why I kind of roll my eyes when I hear providers use the term move to cloud. Don't move to cloud. Thousands of applications. Some things I might re-architect or rebuild or remodernize or simplify to the cloud. That makes sense for me financially or architecture. Or any new applications I build, 100%. That makes sense. Absolutely. Maybe a cloud-first deployment. But move to cloud and 10,000 applications that have existed for decades, it's just highly unlikely. And the biggest unlikely part is, let's say it costs you a billion dollars to make that happen. Imagine going to your CFO at any time, but imagine going to your CFO now and saying, I need a billion dollars to recreate and rewrite all the applications I have now so that they work in the cloud. And, and their first question, of course, is going to be, awesome. 
does it do exactly the same thing now as they did in the past? Right. And of course, if the answer is yes, you'll be walking out that door. Right. There's no, <laughs> she's right. not going to spend a billion dollars to get the exact same thing you currently have now. I would hope not. <laughs> right. Otherwise, you won't be CFO for long. Right. And the reality is, how, like, I'm sure we've rewritten a lot of applications in our career. Uh, the rewritten application takes years to get up to the same standard, both in quality and feature richness, as the original application. Absolutely. Like, version 1 of other application doesn't do what version 300 does of existence. Right. It's not as stable. It's not as performant. It's not as feature rich. Yeah. Um, and, and it's almost, it doesn't look the same, right? right. The retraining is, is significant on the organization as a whole tends to be pervasive. Um, I'm not a fan of lift and shift from a logic standpoint either. Um, you know, when, when I look at cloud, uh, and I think this is a good topic for our first conversation. <laughs> when I, when I look at cloud, um, you know, there's like, we, we tend to talk about it as though it's one thing. Um, and, and unfortunately, that one thing is other. It's either my infrastructure or it's other. It's my data center or it's other. That's an okay definition of cloud, mm -hmm. other. I think if we try to talk about it as though it's one thing with any other definition, we start to pigeonhole our thinking. Not our, not our decision-making process, but our, but our thinking. Because a cloud isn't one thing. If I'm a Microsoft shop, as an example, and I have a Microsoft ELA, Microsoft is extremely motivated to move me into Azure. Mm. Um, if I have legacy Windows applications, that may be a very good decision for me to make. But it's not going to be cheap. It's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be painless. Um, and then if my thinking is around that cloud, Azure, then I have all the services and capabilities that Azure brings as well as their pricing model. Mm -hmm. I can't think of an organization where that is necessarily the right move if the organization's been around for more than 10 years. If, if, if we're small and we're, we're super agile and I've got a really smart IT staff and a really smart development staff and we're already looking at infrastructure as code and our DevOps is fairly well evolved, then that could be fine. And we're strictly a Microsoft shop. That could be fine. But, but when I compare Azure to um, AWS, right? I, I get the feeling that, that I'm going to see a capability first on AWS. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be able to reach out to the market and hire people that have AWS experience at, at a 5 or 10 to 1 ratio. Mm -hmm. But am I as motivated to move my legacy there? Do they run core? Could I replicate my data center as it sits in AWS? And is that the right way to spend my money? Right. And, and then I would posit probably not. Like that's, that's a really good place to be agile. That's a really good place to be um, container or serverless focused, right? Yeah. But they also don't have the same benefits that Microsoft does. For instance, if I'm in an ELA with Microsoft, did you know Microsoft gives you a 49% overutilization over with no additional fees? So Microsoft licensing was a specialty of mine. <laughs> um, it has to do with that kind of legal focused background. Um, I went to a, a lovely class. It was it was eight days with the Microsoft program managers. The last program manager to come in was the licensing program manager. You could hear groans through the audience, <laughs> right? And, and there were a couple of guys who were like, oh, thank God I was up drinking late last night. I can take a nap now. Uh, I leaned forward in my chair and got excited and got my pencil out because this was the guy that was going to tell me how to save money in my company. Right. 
right? Everybody else would tell me how to add capabilities. Everybody else would tell me how to get more performance. And while that's neat, that's only half of the challenge, if not less, right? We have to do more with less. This is contract negotiation. This is how am I going to save big dollars, right? How is this stuff actually written? Not what's the blurb on the website. Um, and so I, I've spent a fair time consulting there. And, and one of the things that's important about Azure is I make a commit annually. I don't get a monthly bill for my Azure Enterprise Agreement. So I've committed to $100,000 of expense. That gets broken down into a monthly use utilization. I can exceed that by 49%. And my contract remains the same. There's an annual review process. Sure. If I exceed that, I hit 50%. There's a review process and my bill will go up for next year. <clears throat> but that, that gives me extreme flexibility because that means my, my cost can actually be up to 40% less than Amazon because I get that 49% overutilization and they're roughly parity. For infrastructure, that's a huge benefit. That's a huge bonus. Um, and Microsoft is extremely motivated and, and, and they're, they're paying their people specifically to add Azure. So it's kind of something to keep in mind. But I don't feel like I have the same agility as I do with AWS. Mm -hmm. So for me, it, it truly is a multi-cloud world. And I don't mean that in, we tend to use that to mean I have one primary cloud provider and then I have 60 software as a service providers. I don't mean it that way. I truly mean it's a multi-cloud world. Um, for me, I want to use Microsoft and I want to use Amazon. It's fair to say that's a pretty big change though. Right? Like IT, especially CIOs and CTOs have been on this 20-year standardization kick. Right, where they want single vendor to make single technology calls. You know, you know, one one uh, back to pad or one throat to choke. Right, I'm going to buy into IBM. I'm going to buy into Microsoft. I'm going to buy into Oracle. I'm going to buy into those things and choose all of my hardware and software to support that. Microsoft is an easier example in that the compute could be uh, relatively ubiquitous. It doesn't really matter the compute is as long as the software is relatively the same in the Microsoft stack. And if you had 100% of the same infrastructure and 100% of your software Microsoft, you could do anything you want. Absolutely. You have uh, a sole provider of everything you do. Um, and I've seen some enterprises do that, but very few have done that effectively. What I mostly see is a significant amount of diversification. What I've seen a shift, though, in the last five years, absolutely, is a mentality of standardization first to diversification is okay, right? I'm okay ensuring that I have multiple vendors in my floor. I'm okay knowing that I have legacy on legacy, new on new, cloud on cloud, um, and that I need them all to interact. Um, and it may not be the most effective, but at least it makes sense for that workload. Sure. And that diversification is that new word to say, I'm less worried about um, cost savings on a single vendor. I'm more worried about value provided in an individual in a business. And if they want to make a Microsoft decision, make a Microsoft decision. If they want to make an Amazon decision, make an Amazon decision. The one thing I do see CIOs really contemplate, though, is the architectural fallacy of moving between clouds. Right? Even in the multi-cloud world, one doesn't design a piece of application architected for the purpose of Amazon and presume at some point it'll be taken away from that, put into Azure. Taken away from that, put into GCP. Taken away from that, brought it back. Once it's in a destination, you architect for a destination. Once it's in the destination, you start using those services, you start Absolutely. becoming the ecosystem of that service, 
and it kind of stays there. The cost to remove it is way too dramatic, just like the cost to take it from your data center <laughs> right. into the cloud. Right. It's the same money. <laughs> How many times do you want to do that? Hopefully very few. Sure. I, I, I would argue that there are, um, there are ways to mitigate that somewhat. Right. Like the first time I move into Amazon, I'm going to architect that application that is more cloud friendly. Yes. It's still going to be painful to move it from Amazon to anywhere else, regardless of what that destination is, but it won't necessarily be equally painful. Right. Like it, it will be less painful, but still significant. Depending on how embedded you use. Absolutely. If, if you fully embrace that cloud provider's environment, it's your security and your policy and your governance and, uh, and how you're uh, distributing your storage and your data and your compute. It gets a lot more complex. Absolutely. I mean, but, the, but what's the real reason you wouldn't do it? Like, what's the real reason from a CIO's perspective you'd consider moving your workload from Amazon to Azure? I, I don't know. I haven't come up with it. Um, it would be it would have to be something critical like frequent outages by the cloud provider. Right. I don't think I've seen anything so far that would have me go. Oh, you know this is a this is a move. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For some reason, this cloud provider is now competing with you in some grandiose sense. And, and it would have to be right. competing with me relatively specifically, right. not not just entered the same market, right. but directly competing and stealing customers on a constant basis. Right. Like there'd have to be a such a significant driver that my my board and my CEO are pushing for us to move. Right. I can right. see Walmart deciding to move away from Amazon. Correct. That makes sense to me. Correct. <laughs> right. Good. So, so yeah, I find that interesting. 